0: The Devon Dragon Radio. I'm your host, M.L. Roostrock. I'm here with author Elliot Mason. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, you have a wonderful book out. What is that about?
1: Oh, the, well, the book is called The Arlington Orders. It's actually would fall under, I guess, the historical suspense thriller fiction genre. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's based on a real event. It's an event called The Dahlgren Affair, which happened in... Um, which happened in March of 1864, a young Union colonel by the name of Alrick Dahlgren was uh, killed right outside the Confederate capital of Richmond, Virginia. And when he was killed, they searched his body and they found a set of orders on him. And the orders said, you are to kill President Lincoln. You, I'm, excuse me, you are to kill President Davis, excuse me, Jefferson Davis of the mm-hmm. President of the Confederacy. You are to kill everybody in the Confederate government and you are to burn Richmond to the ground. And this was kind of a shocking thing, because at that time, there was kind of a gentleman's agreement that civilian heads of state wouldn't be targeted. So the South wouldn't target Lincoln, and the North wouldn't target anybody in the Confederate government. Well, because of this, the South decided to evacuate the capital shortly afterwards. Getting the people out wasn't the problem. The problem was they had all of their gold and silver reserves, all of their money that they used to, to fight the war. So they literally devised a secret operation to move that— gold and silver reserve out of Richmond down to Savannah, Georgia. And then they would sail it to an undisclosed location where they would draw on it when they needed the money. Right. They started the operation and it disappeared without a trace. And to this day, no one knows what happened to it. Uh, If it were discovered, it would be the most significant find and the richest find in American history. And uh, my story takes place where two uh, historians in modern times stumble upon clues and they start to search for it, but it turns into a a deadly chase that could change the very future of the nation.
0: Well, it's, okay, let's go through with the historical facts and everything that's going on in the world today, we need the Mm -hmm. historical facts out there. At the same time, we have this in the modern history, the search for this treasure, I mean, anything that's a search for treasure is automatically, I need to read it. <laughs>
1: yeah. I I know I'm that way with books. I'm I'm uh but yes, it is an actual uh there's been a lot of theories about what has happened to it. Uh the reason they had to covertly move it is because Union troops were everywhere. So they couldn't just go and move it, you know, uh on regular roads because it would be found and confiscated by Union troops. So, um there is a lot of theories. Some people say it's buried in a cemetery. Some people say that um A man by the name of Jane Semple, who was supposed to be the person who received the shipment, took it. Uh, Other people say it was robbed along the route, but no one really knows. And there's a lot of theories out there, but uh, it has never been discovered. But it was an actual treasury.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of historical um, people out there that, that have tried to find this mystery. What happened to the Confederate gold? Because, like you said, it would be one of the richest finds in American history if it was found. We don't know where it is; no one does. But you know, it makes for a great tell, tale to tell in a story.
1: Well, that and that's what I wanted to do. Uh, but I also, uh, the story is not just about the search for mm-hmm. treasure. It um, it takes on a lot of dark political overtones because it covers a lot of what was going on during the war and how it affects us today which is kind of ironic because you see the turmoil in, we're in today oh, yeah. especially over things like confederate monuments mm-hmm. and uh how we should view our history uh so it kind of delves into that and i have basically four main characters uh, who are going after it uh one is uh, t- the two people who stumble upon clues by accident are mm-hmm. two young historians volunteering at the savannah the savannah historical foundation and they stumble upon clues. And for them, it's kind of a, a way to give their meaningless lives meaning. They, they both are kind of lost souls. They feel that they haven't accomplished uh, all the things that they've wanted to accomplish. So when they start searching for it, they have no idea that there's anybody else looking for it. And it turns out there are, and they have very different reasons. There's a another character by the name of the judge who wants it not only for its monetary wealth, but he always... Envisioned himself as doing something great and fantastic with his life. He wants to be thought of as in the same terms of some great leaders or great uh, uh, Explorers and then there's a a 23 year old disheveled young man by the name of William Hatton Who's searching for it as well with the judge, but he never talks about the wealth He only talks about its intended use and you have no idea what he's talking about until you get to the you know obviously to the end of the story, but uh, they all have this internal monologue going on of why they're doing this and the questions they're asking in their head and uh, the morality or immorality of, of some of our history. And it, it kind of becomes a political thriller that comes up it, to modern it times. It does.
0: And right now with our politics being disheveled and misinterpreted, with history not being taught, and it's a mess of political BS right now <laughs>
1: well, yeah, that's for sure
0: but at the same time you have all that into this one book you bring out the history you bring out what they could have used for you have the mystery of it what they think now that this they're doing things for how they want to be looked upon now these mm-hmm. historians and you have all this mess Together, but it makes for a wonderful read. Oh,
1: well, thank you. Yeah, I I enjoyed writing it. It took me about two and a half years to research this book, and um, the Civil War is really unique to the American experience. Uh, there's nothing like it I, anywhere else in, in no. history, really. That I, and it is so, um, and it's something that we still haven't come to terms with to this very day. Yeah. Uh, the lingering effects of it. The uh, the legacy of things like that later happened after the war ended Jim Crow and segregation and all these things that, that went on and just how, um, the nation viewed itself. One of the interesting things is, I think people today, when they look at history, they tend to look at it through the eyes of a person living in the 21st century. Mm -hmm. And they don't understand that, that back then, if you asked a person in living in America, you know where they were from. They wouldn't say I'm an American first. They would say I'm a Kentuckian, or I'm an Alabaman, or I'm a Mississippian, or a New Yorker. They identified with their region more than they identify with the country as a whole. Today we say I'm an American, but back then it wasn't that simple. And America, people tend to forget that by the time the Civil War happened, America was even a hundred years old yet. It was yes. still this grand experiment, and no one at that time even knew it would even work. So it's, I, I think it's really interesting how we are trying to look at it now. And I think people living in this generation have to be careful because we have to understand that the way we see the world now is completely different than how people so, saw the world 150, 200 years ago.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, th- that is a good point. And then we also have to look at it. What are we being taught from the history in the school? Are we being taught actual history or are we being taught propaganda?
1: And that's, you know, it's interesting. Um, A couple of days ago, I received a, uh, I have a Facebook page, and I received a question where someone made this statement. They said, well, they only want us to know the history they want us to know. And I can understand that. In school, history was taught a certain way, and it is changing. There's no question there's been a big move in how history is taught. But I think it's also very incumbent upon us as individuals. There have been literally thousands of books written on prominent historical figures like Lincoln and Jefferson and Washington and Frederick Douglass and all these very important historical figures, we need to, as a society, we also need to take a responsibility and say, you know what, it's up for us to get off our rear ends, go down to the library and check out these books for free that are available to us and yeah. read about them because they're, they're, they are
0: there. Right. My mother, when I was growing up, we didn't just learn the history in school. She made sure our vacations were planned around a historical site, Gettysburg, um, places in Georgia, places where the Civil War actually happened, things that, so we can go and see the history, learn the history from that region.
1: Uh, absolutely. I think that's a great way to do it. And I think what it, what is important is, um, in my opinion is the context that we teach things in. Mm-hmm. You know, our historical past, our the historical figures, they were very multi-dimensional people. We tend to I, I think in our own minds we tend to put them up as these stoic figures that were single minded and and were without flaws. And there's you know they were there were some amazing people back then, but they were people. Yes. And they did have flaws. And like anybody else they made mistakes and they made bad decisions and they had quirks of their personality and maybe they weren't the best people to get along like you wouldn't want to be friends with them but they were they still made important contributions and i think we're torn about this um a lot you know um and even in modern history where you get up more towards the 20th century see people like that like for instance you look at a person like henry ford Mm -hmm. henry ford was you know obviously did a huge amount to change the way we live now. Practically everything that we use, including the computer I'm talking to you on now, everything that we use is manufactured on an assembly line. That was Henry Ford's contribution. But he was also I had a lot of problems with anti-Semitism, a lot of so these these people these people were were flawed and we, I think we have to look at the whole picture, and uh, it gives us a better idea of what we're yeah, studying.
0: We can't look at one negative thing and say that the person was completely negative. What are their contributions? Why do we have a monument to this person? Okay, they are a Confederate, whatever. Well, there's a reason for the monument. Maybe good, maybe bad, maybe because of the war. We don't know, we have to research And then Mm -hmm. develop opinion thing with history is you don't have to like history it's not there for you to like or dislike it's there for you to learn so we don't repeat it
1: sure and uh you know i think it's important to uh look at every historical figure even if you don't like them Mm -hmm. you know uh there's a lot of controversy about um you know, the Confederate monuments of people like Robert E. Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I think it's important to understand and study the man and find out what was he about? What was his life about? What was he? Um, it's interesting, you know, what the, the Arlington orders, which is the title of my book, a lot of people don't realize that uh, Lee married George Washington's great granddaughter, who was his second cousin. And he in Arlington was actually a house. It was, a place, it was built by George Washington's grandson to honor his grandfather. When uh, the great-granddaughter inherited it, General Lee, who was second cousin to uh, Washington's great-granddaughter, they got married and actually lived in that house. When uh, Lee was asked to, uh, to join the Union Army and lead it, he refused and joined the Confederacy instead. The U.S. government confiscated the house and— turned it into the union headquarters in order to punish the lee family for what they considered to be a treasonous act mm-hmm. um they start burying union war dead on the property and that's how we get arlington national cemetery today so <laughs> it's, you know, it's all
0: history arlington right. it goes right back to washington as you said and right. It's all part of history and history isn't a straight line. It's a messy ball of yarn that we have to go through and detangle and find little snippets. It's all there. I mean, Christopher Columbus, if I can talk today, (laughs) Christopher Columbus, he discovered America. Well, if you ask any Native American, well, he can't discover something when it's already inhabited.
1: Right. Right. And
0: yeah it's a messy ball of yarn it depends on what side you're looking at it from
1: sure and and if you look at like a person like christopher columbus uh probably a better term was he introduced america to europe is probably a better way a lot of controversy about him because of what happened with native americans and um what happened with uh the aftermath of north america and south america basically being settled um but uh it 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 was it is really a, uh, a tangled web
0: <laughs> it really is and i taking some of these monuments down as a native american descendant i'm not full native american obviously but as a descendant i'm not offended by christopher columbus although i don't like how it's portrayed because the history isn't portrayed equally
1: yeah, it, it is. It is, a, and I can imagine, as a Native American or a person who has Native American heritage in them, that would be a very, very complex um, set of issues. Uh, you know, there. You know, obviously there were some very negative things that happened to the Native American population mm-hmm. with the introduction of Europe to, you know, the New World. However, at the same time, a lot of the modern conveniences that we enjoy in life today wouldn't have happened if it had not been for that introduction. So I guess it is a very um, it is a very complex and emotional issue, and it's kind of interesting to see it play out now. The question is, is, is whether we will learn and reintroduce a new context of our history or whether we'll just try to erase it from memory, and um, I think it's really dangerous when we erase things from memory. Uh, one of the things that um, you see, like for instance, uh, a lot of uh, Jewish people insisted that the uh, things like Auschwitz and Dachau still stand. They wanted them to be a reminder of how horrible things can happen. And uh, that it's a reminder that these things did happen. So I think that um, there's a lot, again, there's a lot of different ways we can look at it, but you're right. The context is very important.
0: Very true. So do we have any more books from you coming out?
1: Yes, um, I actually have a book coming out in the spring of 2021 uh, called The Legal Killer, uh, which tackles another, It's in some senses, it's a little bit of a sequel to what this book is, has some of the same characters. But the book is um, dealing with some very touchy issues and corruption within our federal justice system. And uh, the book is basically tracks these problems and these injustices through the pursuit of a serial killer and uh, so that will be out in 2021 again it's called the legal killer
0: that is going to be very interesting to read especially with today's climate because we're living in what we're seeing as a corrupt judicial system we're we're living in this
1: we're not, no question
0: we're getting snippets we're not getting the big picture
1: Yeah. And I think that, you know, people today right now are focusing mainly on police, but and that, that obviously is an extremely important issue, Mm -hmm. but it is just one part of the system as a whole. Mm -hmm. And when we look at other things that come into play, uh, the police, uh, the prosecutors, uh, the, the defense judges, mandatory minimum sentencing, the guidelines, all these things that, that, um, People don't see on because they're not in our face. I, I police is the most visible because it's something that the people have contact with. It's what we see when we drive down our streets. Sometimes we'll see a police car, or you know, uh, we they're the ones that interact with the public more on a daily basis. But it, but the whole uh, system is massive, and people tend to forget about these other parts that play a, a huge role in how it operates.
0: Exactly, it's not just what we see is everything that happens behind the scenes.
1: No question. No question. And and the legal killer really touches upon a lot of that, uh, about uh, some of the real fallacies we have in that, in, in our, uh, in our justice system that basically cover the whole uh, gambit of problems. I mean, uh, you know, everything from the private prison industry to, um, just basically, how are the defense? The, you know, the defense, uh, for instance, like mm-hmm. public defenders, only receive about five percent of the funding compared to what ninety-five percent goes to the prosecution.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: it's really a, a very uneven system, and it, it's um, that to me it it is needs every bit as much a, of a modification as as any of the other issues that are happening
0: currently. oh i can't even agree with you on the, or not agree with you on this because it's so behind the scenes corruption it's not really corruption it's just an unfair system to begin with
1: well yeah and i think a lot of people look at it as a you know and i see people who will you know kind of poo-poo it and say oh well it's not really you know that's a conspiracy theory conspiracy theories are i don't like them this is out in the open. Mm-hmm. Last year, to give you an example, last year alone, uh, companies involved in the private prison industry, and when you were talking about companies, you're talking about, um, you know, not just the bars and the, and, the, and the buildings, you're talking about the food contracts, sanitation contracts, clothing contracts, all the things it takes to operate a prison. They spend a quarter of a billion dollars a year on lobbyists alone, combined. Yeah. So, they don't spend that kind of money if you're not expecting something in return. <laughs> right. uh, they're they're no different than the auto industry or the pharmaceutical industry. They're interested in making money, and this is how they do it. And right. it's a, a real travesty, in my opinion.
0: Everything is based on money. Oh. We get rid of money, and we go onto an honor system. Do we have the well, same problems? I mean, this, this is a question. This isn't going to happen, but, you know we look at it as money is the root of all evil
1: right right and i you know and normally i'm for you know normally i'm for government staying out of a lot of private things because i uh, but but at the same time the one thing i don't think should be monetized or incentivized with money is the justice system because it just it, it leads to too many problems and uh I said, I don't like government involved in a lot of things, but that's one thing that I think should not be in the private sector, because it just, it's a, it said, it, it leads to too much temptation for yeah. corruption, yes.
0: I, I mean, you look at the, we went from a federal uh, prison form to more privatized, as we do a privatized prison reform, now you have more inmates in there why because you're getting a kickback somewhere for having x amount of inmates in this prison then you have on top of that you have oh the guards aren't being paid well they don't have federal benefits so they're taking people off the street and not really doing anything so now you have your prison guards not treating your prisoners fairly, fairly Because A, they're not trained, and B, there's no oversight.
1: No question. And I think also the, the you know just to give you kind of some basic numbers, um, uh, in, 19, in the 1980s when Ronald Reagan was in office, uh, we had approximately 28,000 uh, people in the federal prison system. Now we have a quarter of a million. So we've had you know, this massive increase you know uh just in the last 30 years and you couple that with the fact that you don't count in for instance a lot of people look at what's going on at uh, the border as a uh, issue about immigration or humanitarianism and they're missing the big picture the same companies that make money off the federal prison systems are the same companies that um, operate the detention centers on the on the border they're exactly the same and Uh, They all have these massive contracts. And somehow, I never hear that talked about in any of the narratives. It's always about, um, and I understand why, because the detention centers are controversial. And, you know, we hear about the horrible separation of families and what's going on with children and so on and so on. But no one ever talks about these massive contracts that these companies have to operate these detention centers. And even though they are called federal detention centers, so much about them is privatized. You know, the food that's provided. The sanitation is provided, bedding, clothing, uh, chairs, tables, everything is privatized.
0: Exactly. And
1: so, so and maybe the building, the bars are federally, but everything else is privatized.
0: Yeah, and what people don't realize is when you privatize something, companies that make money are going to go with the cheapest materials, bedding, clothing, whatever, that they can to have a higher profit margin.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just it's crazy. And even things like the commissary companies, they bid on contracts because, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars a year are just spent on on commissary items by prisoners and their families. And uh, those contracts of what's going to be in the commissary are all privately bid on private companies, private contracts.
0: And it all goes to the lowest bidder. It doesn't go to the highest quality. It goes to the lowest oh, no.
1: but no not never the highest quality
0: (laughs) no I mean I I don't know I don't know how that looks inside but at the same time I'm like common sense says they're not going to get the best quality at the lowest price that's
1: oh no in fact usually it's the lowest quality at the highest price Uh, uh, the research I did uh, it, it is amazing Uh, what they are charging for these items and uh, how much money they're making. And um, really kind of interesting is that there's very little accounting of where that money goes. Uh, Ironically, a lot of that money that's spent on commissary, again, my research, is supposed to go to prisoner recreation. Uh, But the the numbers don't match up. They're making literally some of these uh, prisons are literally making millions and millions of dollars a year on commissary, but they can't afford to buy a basketball for, for prison recreation. So it, the numbers don't add up. So the question is, okay, where's that money going? And it's, it's, um, it, it, it doesn't, you know, by any logical standard, it doesn't match up. And so there's, some, there's things that, we, uh, that need to be looked into and some real trying questions that we have to ask ourselves.
0: And this is very true. And this has to go across the board. It's not just one part of our civilization that needs to look at this. We need to open the books on every state, every city, everything, and look at the numbers. Uh,
1: no question, we have to do that. And um, I cover a lot of that in the legal killer. Mm-hmm. Um, um, that we, uh, in terms of, you know, you know, we have to ask ourselves a very basic question we are the united states represents five percent of the world's population we have 25 percent of the world's prison population and we have 40 percent of the world's detained population so the question we have to ask ourselves how is it that the land of the free has more people in prison or detained than china russia all of eastern europe and all of western europe combined Mm -hmm. how is that possible either we have, we have to look and say either Americans are the worst people w- walking the face of the earth because they can't stop committing crimes or there's something wrong with our system and I can't believe that Americans are any worse than any other population so the question is is that you know what are we doing why do we have this need and part of the problem is too is that our our default button is always prison someone breaks the law go to prison but you know instead of you know, maybe what we can do is rehabilitate this t- person and maybe find other ways of having them contribute back to society. But, um, and there's the old adage, well, it operates as a deterrent. If it operates as a deterrent, why do we have so many people still in
0: prison? Right, it it's sense. not working. It there's add something up. not working within the system. We have right. to find it. But we're almost out of time, so where can our viewers find you?
1: Okay. Uh, They can find me. I have a website, ElliotMasonBooks.com. Again, they can find all the links. I have a newsletter that they can uh, sign up for there where they can get, uh, you know, weekly or uh, monthly updates on what's going on with me, appearances, signings, things of that nature. Uh, The Arlington Orders, uh, the book that's out right now is available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Goodreads, a lot of different Target has it. So a lot of different outlets. They can uh, find the book there. Um, if you want to uh, learn more about the book, uh, you can also sign up for my uh, the Arlington Orange Facebook page, uh, which um, will kind of uh, keep them up to date. And it discusses uh, the issues that are going on today and how they relate to the book and vice versa. So that's kind of where you, they can find me.
0: That is wonderful. And thank you so much for being on the show today, uh, Elliot. And I can't wait for your next one to come out because that's going to be a real eye opener.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And I hope we can uh, talk again soon. I really enjoyed it.
0: Oh, of course. Just contact me when the book's out, because really, this is a book that needs to be brought to everyone's attention.
1: <laughs> I, will be, I will be sure to do it. Fantastic. And I will be, you know, happy to, to talk with you and, and discuss it. And uh, I'm excited to do it.
0: Thank you so much. And for everyone out there, happy reading.